The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Welcome to episode number 24 of the Paul Leslie Hour. How are you doing, folks? Good to have you along. On this episode, we're welcoming Whisperin' Bill Anderson. He's been awarded Songwriter of the Year six times, has been a member of the Grand Ole Opry for more than 50 years, and is an inductee in the Country Music Hall of Fame. He's had an unprecedented life in country music, and that's the title of his autobiography, Whisperin' Bill Anderson, An Unprecedented Life in Country Music. A lot of you know some of his songs. Here's a couple. Whiskey Lullaby, which was recorded by Brad Paisley and Alison Krauss. A lot of things different. Kenny Chesney recorded that one. And then there's Give It Away that was recorded by George Strait. This is just a few of them. Whether it's performing, writing songs, recording, writing his book, I think you'll agree that Bill Anderson is an interesting man. Now we take you to the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not every day you get to cross paths with someone like Bill Anderson, songwriter, musician, longtime member of the Grand Ole Opry, inductee into the Country Music Hall of Fame. He's recorded more than 40 albums, along with having artists as diverse as Dean Martin, George Strait, Kenny Chesney, Aretha Franklin, and James Brown recording his songs. 2016 saw the release of the autobiography, Whisperin' Bill Anderson, An Unprecedented Life in Country Music. So tell us, Mr. Anderson, how has your life been unprecedented? (laughs) I'm not even sure exactly what that word means. Uh, (laughs) I'm not the one that titled the book. My co-writer, Peter Cooper, came up with that title and the publisher went along with it. I think perhaps there are several things in my life that have been unprecedented. Number one, when I came to Nashville, Tennessee, from uh, my roots in Georgia and South Carolina, I was a little different from the other people that had come here in the past before me to uh, try and carve out a career in country music. I had not grown up in the country. I was not... uh, straight off the farm uh, and that type of a thing. I had had the benefit of a of a college education. I had worked in the radio business and and uh, I was a, a little bit of a of a different wheel I guess from the very very beginning, but the real unprecedented part I guess of my life and my career has been the fact that after 30 years of uh, of picking and singing and writing songs and having a lot of success, I spent 10 years where I thought uh, that my career was over and and that I was going to find something else to do with the rest of my life. And then, lo and behold, I turned around and and I've had a second career, particularly as a songwriter, that has been even more fruitful than the first one. And uh, they tell me that hadn't happened before, but I'm awfully glad it happened to me. Would you say that you're more passionate about the songwriting side than the performing yourself side? I can't say that really because I'm passionate about whatever I'm doing at the moment. If I'm writing a song, then that's the most important song I've ever written, and I'm very passionate about trying to craft the song as best as I can. If I'm performing on the stage, I don't care if it's 10,000 people or 150 people. In my mind, that's the most important 
show I've ever done, and I'm there to entertain the people that have come out to see the show. So I'm really passionate about both sides of it, and it just happens to be whatever I'm doing at the time. It's been said by more than a few people that the only thing harder to handle than failure is success. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I, I've seen some of that. Uh, friends of mine that have had a, a tough time handling success. I don't know if you can make a blanket statement on that. I've been very fortunate. I end my book by saying if there's one word to describe my life and my career, that it's the word blessed, because I feel as though I've been extremely blessed to be able to do what I've done over as long a period of time as I've done it. <laughs> I've had to deal with uh, incremental failures, but overall, I would say my life and my career has, has been a success, and there are times when it's difficult to deal with. As I mentioned at the top of the interview, there's been a very diverse list, not just limited to country music that have recorded Bill Anderson songs. Who would you say has done the best interpretation of something you wrote? Oh, golly, how do, how do you compare? That's like kind of comparing apples and oranges as to who, who did the best. What a thrill it was the day that I found out James Brown had recorded one of my songs. And the thing of it is, he took my song and made it his. That's what a true artist does. Aretha Franklin did the same thing. Dean Markham did the same thing. The others outside of country music who've done my songs, the real great recordings that these people have done have been the ones where they have taken my song and put their own stamp on it. They've taken what I wrote and created and made it their own. And that's what a true artist does. Anybody can trace a picture. It takes a true artist to paint one. And that's what is so special to me about these recordings by people that you wouldn't think would record a song written by a hillbilly singer-songwriter from Nashville, Tennessee. I was talking to Bruce Birch the other day, and I asked him, I said, do you have any advice about interviewing Whispering Bill Anderson? And he said, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very nice. Bruce is a dear friend and has been for many years. But he said, I would suggest you at least ask about a couple of your, your favorite Bill Anderson songs. So, one that I've liked for years, it's a classic, would be Saginaw, Michigan. Tell us about that one. I can't take the credit for the entire song of Saginaw, Michigan. If you look up by Saginaw, Michigan, that's easy for you to say. If you look on the record, you will see that the writer's credits are Don Wayne, and Bill Anderson. Don Wayne came to me one day back in the 60s, and he said, I've got this idea for a song that I really like, and I've started it, but I've kind of painted myself in a corner, and I don't know exactly how to finish this little story I've started. And he said, I wonder if you could take it and finish it. I said, well, I don't know. I'll have to hear it. And so he took a guitar down off the wall and sang it to me. And uh, I said, uh, wow, boy, you've <laughs> you have painted yourself into a corner. The story of, of the poor boy from Saginaw uh, falling in love with the the, uh, the daughter of a, of a wealthy man from up there. And he said, well, if you can take the song and finish it, complete the story, I'll give you part of it. And I said, wow, you know, I can't uh, ask for anything more than that. So I'm the one that came up with the little twist on the lyric of, of how the... 
boy came back and told the, the rich man that he had struck gold in Alaska, and the old man went up there looking for it, and turns out the whole thing was a big hoax or whatever. But the melody for the song, the idea for the song, came from Don Wayne. The reason it appealed to me, other than the fact that it was a great story and a great song and a great melody, was the fact that in my early childhood in Columbia, South Carolina, during the Second World War, we shared a duplex apartment with a family from Saginaw, Michigan. And so I had heard of Saginaw, Michigan my entire life, and to be able to write a song about it was just kind of like putting the cherry on top of the sundae. Did you ever hear the recording that Jimmy Dale Gilmore did of it? I don't think I have, no. That's a real good version of it. Another one a lot of people know, and this is just a great song, Give It Away. What inspired that one? (laughs) Well, thank you. I was in a co-writing session with a very creative young talent named Jamie Johnson, great singer-songwriter from down in Alabama, and a great record producer here in Nashville named Buddy Cannon produced all of Kenny Chesney's and still produces Kenny Chesney's records. And we had gotten together specifically on this particular morning to try and write a song. And we were kind of sitting around drinking coffee and talking early in the morning, and we kind of went around the room, well, do you have an idea for a song? No. Do you have one? No. Jay, well, what are we going to write about? Here we've come together. We've got to find something to write about. And Jamie Johnson spoke up and said, well, I'm going through a divorce. I said, well, any songwriter that's going through a divorce and can't write a song about it doesn't deserve to call himself a songwriter. So <laughs> Jay picked up the guitar and just started strumming and singing the part about, uh, not the part about walking through the, uh, <laughs> I have to stop and think. I can't just pull it up off my head. Uh, that picture from our honeymoon that night in Frisco Bay, just give it away. And he started singing that, and then Buddy came up with the thought of, putting a little talking part before that where we did that and and the song came off so good it didn't take us very long to write it and that afternoon about four o'clock we cut a little demonstration record of it and Jamie took it over to George Strait's manager Irv Woolsey and uh, within 24 hours George Strait had heard the song and committed to record it and did record it and of course it became the song of the year in 2007. And one more, I remember the first time I heard Whiskey Lullaby. What a song. Tell us about that one. Well, that was in 2000. We actually wrote it in April of 2000. It didn't come out until around 2004, and then was the song of the year in 2005. That was one of those songs that my co-writer, John Randall, said we'd never get recorded. He said, nobody's running up and down Music Row asking to hear a double suicide drinking song. <laughs> and he was right. It was a song that went against the grain of everything that was happening in music at that time. But sometimes if you can zero in on that and do something that's a little bit different, those are the ones that will ultimately stand out a little more than the others. We were so fortunate that Brad Paisley and Alison Krauss recorded it. We did not write it to be a duet. It was Brad's idea to turn it into a duet and to have the female singer on there with him, which was a a brilliant move. I think one of the things that really helped Whiskey Lullaby to achieve the success that it did was the fabulous video that Riff Schroeder, the actor, produced on the song. The the song was a little confusing to people, I think, at first, but when they saw the video, they said, oh, this 
this is what they, they're talking about. This is what it means. And it kind of cleared things up for people. But it's been a very special song in my life and in my career. Drinking has been such a popular subject in country songs. It seems so many writers have had addictions. Oh, golly, I don't know. There's certainly been uh, many instances, many uh, pieces of evidence to that effect down through the years when you go from the great writers like Ernest Hemingway to uh, the hillbilly poets like Hank Williams and, and other people. You know, I, I can't generalize and say that that's, that's true for everybody because, fortunately, I, I don't have that kind of an addictive personality, and I'm awfully glad that I don't. But that song spoke to uh, to a lot of people, particularly relatives and friends and spouses of people who've had addictions. I cannot tell you how many letters I got, how many emails I got, how many people came up to me at concert dates and told me that that song really, really struck home with them and, and that they understood, you know, really what it was all about. It's an interesting thing, too, that part of the success of that song was uh, had nothing to do with the message in the song. It was the little la 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 las on the on the chorus that attracted uh, attracted young children to the song who didn't even have any idea what we were singing about. But when we got to the little nursery rhyme part, the little lullaby, la 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 la, the kids loved that, and so that was an audience we certainly didn't expect to uh, be attracted to that song. I know you're probably tired of answering this question, and a lot of songwriters say, gosh, how, how could you ask? It's it's like comparing my children. But could you pick your favorite song that you wrote? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, you get asked that question a lot, and, and it is like, like saying which one of your children or grandchildren do you love the most. I do have two songs in my career that are closer to me personally. I cannot necessarily say they are my favorite songs, but they are closer to me personally uh, than the others. One from early in my career and one kind of from the second part of my career. The early song would be Mama Sang a Song, which I wrote uh, for and about my mother and about my family and about the way I was raised. And there's an awful lot of truth in there. And I think when you tear a page out of your life and set it to music. It has to be something that means more to you than maybe something you just made up out of your head. And the other song came out in 2002, and Kenny Chesney, whom we've talked about a couple of times here, recorded a song that Dean Dillon and I wrote called A Lot of Things Different. And it was about a guy looking back over his life and saying that, that he'd do a lot of things different if he could go back and live his life again. And I think at that point in my life, I was to the point where uh, I could look over my shoulder and say, yeah, I'd have done this different or I'd have done that different. And uh, at the end of the song, we say, I guess we'd all do a lot of things different. And I think that's probably true. So that song, along with Mama Sang a Song, are the two songs that are closest to me in a personal way. It was a November night, and I was at the Grand Ole Opry watching the show. And I'm sure, like many people have thought before, I thought about all of the talent that has been on that stage. So since I'll never know what it's like to be on the stage, I was hoping you, Bill Anderson, could tell us, what is it like to stand on that stage? Wow. Well, if you were there in November, you must have been at the Ryman Auditorium because we go back to the Ryman November, December, and January every year. And that's one of the most special, iconic, and revered stages in the world. 
there's no place quite like it. I went to the Ryman Auditorium at the age of 14. My mom and dad took me to Nashville to see the Grand Ole Opry, and I had been there several times before I was ever invited to perform there, never dreaming that first night that I sat there and watched my heroes up on that stage that there would come a day or a night when I'd walk out on that stage to uh, to do my thing. It's something you never forget. You never forget your first night there. You never forget the special things that happen on the opera stage. You can walk on any stage in the world, and it's different from the Grand Ole Opry stage. The Opry stage, whether it's at the Opry House or the Ryman, is such a special and unique place, partly, as you say, because of the history. You stand there, and you can almost see Hank Williams' footprints in that old wooden circle that's out there that he stood on at one time and all the greats in country music. It's an honor and a privilege to be a part of that and to be able to stand on that stage. And it's been that way for me for over 55 years, and I don't think I'll ever lose that feeling. I hope I don't. We mentioned at the top of the interview the title of your book, I was hoping you can tell us, what was the experience like of writing this book, Whispering Bill Anderson, An Unprecedented Life in Country Music? Anybody who's ever written an autobiography that I've talked to says it's therapeutic. You kind of get inside yourself and kind of pour your your whole life out on the, to a piece of paper or up onto a computer screen, as it's done these days. I wrote a song, again, with Jamie Johnson and Buddy Cannon that George Strait recorded. He never released it as a as a single, but it was in one of his more recent albums called Cheaper Than a Shrink. And that's kind of what writing an autobiography is. It's, <laughs> it's pouring out your heart and your soul, and it's cheaper than going to a psychiatrist and <laughs> paying him or her to figure out what your problems are. At the end of the day, it's almost kind of a cleansing feeling. You know, you kind of, well, I got that out of my system. I, I enjoyed the experience. I really did. It, it was therapeutic. It brought back a lot of good memories. It brought back some pain. It brought back some things I wish I'd have done different. But, uh, but overall, I'm thankful for having had the experience. What advice would you give to somebody who is entering or has been in a slump? Things are going fine for a while, and then all of a sudden, not just not just people who are musicians, just in general, they find themselves in a slump. Well, I think Yogi Berra said it pretty well, the great baseball player. He said, it ain't over till it's over. And I think uh, at the end of the 1980s, when I was coming out of about a 10-year slump as far as writing songs, because I really hadn't been writing songs. And then when I started back in the in the early and mid-90s, in a way, it was it was kind of a feeling of we I, I never really stopped, and, and yet I knew that I did. I think you just um, if you've got something that you're really it's really a part of you and that you're really into. I mean, I know when an athlete reaches a certain age or stage in their life or career, you know they can't perform athletically like they could in their twenties and thirties and their prime and all, but. There's an old song that I recorded one time that I didn't write called The Dream Never Dies, Just the Dreamer. And and I think that's very true sometimes. You know, I never lost the dream to write songs. I just kind of kind of put it on the back burner, and, and that's, that's not where it belonged. I don't know that I have any one piece of advice that would fit all situations, but, but for me, that, that fire never went out. It just kind of went down, and it was just up to me to, to find a way to turn it back up and throw some more logs on it and get it burning again. What is the best thing about being Bill Anderson? 
Oh, wow. Golly, I don't know. Probably just enjoying life every day. Uh, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I love to laugh. I love socializing with friends and people and fans and uh, talking with people like you who allow me to open up and uh, share some things with, with the audience. I don't know that there's any one thing that's the, the best thing about it, but I'm a happy guy. I'm, I'm a very fulfilled guy. I'm very blessed. I've had a, uh, I, my life has not been problem-free, but I've been able to, with the help of the good Lord, overcome a lot of my problems and the downtimes in my life. And uh, I don't know that I'd trade places with anybody. For anyone who's listening in, wherever they are, what would you say to the audience? Well, if there are people who have been fans of mine and my music down through the years, I would say thank you. I'm glad I've been able to do something that uh, you've enjoyed. If maybe you don't have any idea who Bill Anderson is or you've never heard of Bill or Whispering Bill before this particular conversation, I hope maybe you'll dig a little bit deeper and find out a little bit about some of the things that I've done over the years. I have a website at BillAnderson.com. I invite you to go there and kind of explore uh, as much or as deep or as shallow as uh, as you'd like to. And uh, I just thank everybody for uh, allowing me to, to live out a beautiful dream. That's exactly what it's been. Well, Mr. Anderson, thanks so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Paul. I enjoyed talking with you. It was an honor to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed. Again, it's BillAnderson.com. If you haven't subscribed to the Paul Leslie Hour, I hope you do so. It's free, and we are everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Player FM, Acast, CastBox. We're everywhere. And if you haven't yet, maybe you'll consider giving us a review. A rating and a review on the channel of your choice helps other people find this show. That's all I've got. I hope you've enjoyed, and tune in next time on the Paul Leslie Hour. Until next time. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.